This is our final podcast for the respiratory system. And here, let's now talk about the patency for the respiratory system. So I'll talk about the patency of the conducting airways. So the larynx, the trachea, and the bronchial divisions have rings of hyaline cartilage or plates of hyaline cartilage, and this can be joined by bundles of smooth muscle. The bronchioles don't have the cartilage anymore, but they have rings of smooth muscle to maintain the patency. We've already suggested that elastic fibers are abundant, and they're very important throughout the respiratory system, not only to provide some patency, but also to provide the recoil as the portions of the airways expand and contract during inhalation and expiration, respectively. The top image is just a view of the epiglottis. You can see the elastic cartilage in the epiglottis. The bottom views, there's a trachea. You can see the C-shaped cartilages in the trachea, like this. And then a, a, a tertiary bronchus. You can see the cartilage plates in the bronchus. A little bit difficult to pick out the smooth muscle on this image, but there's probably smooth muscle like this running between these cartilage plates. And remember, the cartilage is hyaline cartilage here. Now the patency of the alveoli and the respiratory bronchioles. Here you can see a respiratory bronchiole part of the wall of the bronchiole has alveoli that's giving way into an alveolar duct and then into the alveolar air spaces. But the alveolar type 2 cells secrete surfactant. Surfactant, of course, is a mixture of lecithin and protein. Lecithin forms a monolayer on the alveolar surface, and the proteins in the surfactant support that monolayer, and they also have antibacterial properties. As we said, the surfactant coats the alveolar surface. That reduces surface tension in the alveoli and therefore keeps the alveoli patent. What is the evidence for the involvement of alveolar type 2 cells in surfactant production? First of all, we know that there are prominent osmiophilic multilamella bodies that are released at the cell surface. These are seen in the alveolar type 2 cells. It turns out that antibody to surfactant proteins will bind to these multilamella bodies. Tritiated choline, which is a lecithin precursor, will be taken up by alveolar type 2 cells and will localize to these multilamella bodies. Surfactant and type 2 cells appear in the lungs of the fetus very late in gestation at about the same time. And actually, in certain surfactant deficient diseases, the type 2 alveolar cells are reduced in number. Now you've heard about respiratory distress syndrome. As you know, surfactant and the type 2 alveolar cells appear late in gestation. And as we know, the lungs don't develop until very late in gestation, and they don't develop their respiratory functions until very late. Now if prematurity is going to be anticipated, mothers can be given steroids to stimulate the type 2 cell function, and that will actually prepare the fetal lung for installation of surfactant. Now when the baby is born, on, this surfactant can be instilled into the baby's lung by an endotracheal tube, and this will either be lecithin or a bovine lung extract. Once this is instilled into the baby's lungs, the baby can actually be rolled around a little bit, and that will help to distribute the surfactant in the lungs. And Usually, within a few hours after installation of a premature baby's lungs with the surfactant, the partial pressure of oxygen will increase 
installation of the surfactant proteins will stimulate the baby's own lungs to make surfactant. It's also thought that some of the surfactant proteins that the fetus is synthesizing might stimulate parturition. You probably also are aware of this. A child's alveoli don't fully expand until about one year of age. So respiratory distress syndrome can be very significant in premature infants. As we said, the alveoli provide a very large surface area for gas exchange, and this has to occur at a very low pressure. It turns out that there are 22 to maybe 25 generations of branching of airways. This dichotomous branching leads to 3 times 10 to the 8th alveoli with, a, as we said, a surface area something like 150 square meters, like the surface area of a tennis court. The pulmonary capillary bed is even more amazing. It's something like 1,500 miles of pulmonary capillaries in the lungs. One mil of blood will occupy 10 miles of capillaries in the lungs, so that's absolutely incredible. Essentially, the unequous dichotomous branching, that is cross-sectional areas of the daughter airways being greater than that of the parental airway helps to keep the pressure very low in the alveoli. The wall separating the blood and the air can be reduced to the very attenuated cytoplasm of two epithelial cells, the alveolar type 1 cell, the endothelial cell, and their fused basal lamina. The thickness of each cell can be actually reduced to something like 0.1 microns. That's a very efficient surface for gas to exchange across. The alveolar cells are coated also by a layer of water which is then covered by the surfactant. That water layer allows the surfactant to move freely and it permits the newly synthesized surfactant precursors to easily coat the entire surface. So it turns out that this blood-air barrier, because they are very attenuated cells and has this thin coating, provides a very efficient surface for gas exchange. Now this is just a histological summary of what occurs in the bronchial tree as it divides. So we can look at the histology as the bronchial tree divides. And so we know that the epithelium starts out as a ciliated pseudostratified columnar epithelium. It's very tall near the beginning of the respiratory passages. But as you travel down the respiratory passages, this epithelium gets shorter and shorter. It eventually loses cilia until in the respiratory portions you get a simple squamous epithelium. The number of goblet cells decreases as you move down the respiratory tract through the conducting airways. When you get to the terminal bronchioles, you no longer have goblet cells. You have a specialized clara cell, which is secreting a thinner mucus-type product. The number of ciliated cells is decreasing. The number of glands is decreasing. You lose hyaline cartilage as you go down the respiratory tract. You're losing smooth muscle as you go down the respiratory tract. There may be only a few cells of smooth muscle in the alveolar walls. The elastic fibers re remain fairly constant throughout the respiratory tract. You even have elastic fibers in the alveolar walls themselves.
So the histological solutions to inherent problems in the respiratory tract, how are they overcome? Well, cleaning the nasal cavity. We've talked about the nasal hairs. The moist surfaces will dissolve gaseous toxins. The respiratory epithelium, cilia that beat the goblet cells and glands that secrete the mucus. Larynx, trachea, bronchi, the respiratory epithelium and glands. Of course, the clara cells and the bronchioles produce a low viscosity substance which is moved by the cilia. The patency in the larynx, the trachea, the bronchi maintained by hyaline cartilage and smooth muscle. and the bronchioles you lose the cartilage but you do have the smooth muscle to maintain the patency of the walls. And then in the alveoli essentially the surfactant maintains the patency. The large surface area for gas exchange as we said something like 3 times 10 to the 8th alveoli arise by up to 25 dichotomous branchings of the airways there may be 1500 miles of capillaries and this is a very efficient surface for gas exchange because the two very attenuated epithelial cell layers their fused basal lamina and the water coating surfactant now let me just spend a couple of minutes talking about some clinical correlations that you'll see in relation to the respiratory tract. The first one I want to talk about is squamous cell metaplasia. And we saw an example of this in the larynx. One type of epithelium can change to another. So the respiratory epithelium, like in the larynx, might change from a ciliated pseudostratified columnar epithelium to a stratified squamous. This is a reversible type of change. One type of epithelium changes into another type of epithelium. Now it's not that differentiated epithelial cells convert from one cell type to another, it's that the basal cells proliferate and give rise to different mature cell types. This happens in a very controlled manner and it's an adaptive change to some type of a stress that's going on in the airway. Now you can also have conditions like chronic bronchitis or bronchiostasis. That's where the respiratory epithelium changes to a stratified squamous due to a physical stress. Maybe you have a chronic coughing because you're a smoker. Maybe you're inhaling pollutants. But what's going on here in these chronic conditions, you're reducing the percentage of ciliated cells. This is still a metaplasia and it's an adaptive change to a chronic stress. But if the factors that lead to this metaplasia are not eliminated, the metaplastic cells might undergo a malignant transformation and you can then get squamous cell carcinoma in the respiratory tract. Cystic fibrosis is another common respiratory problem that one sees. It's a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Cystic fibrosis is an autosomal recessive disease. It's a mutation of the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator gene, also called CFTR. This gene is located on chromosome 7. Essentially, what you have is abnormal transport of chloride ions, and that leads to a greater viscosity of the secretory products 
on the glands and leads to greater viscosity of the mucus in the respiratory tract. Here just shows what happens in a normal cell, you're getting secretion of chloride, but here you've got a mutation in the chloride channel, you're not secreting chloride, so what happens is you have chloride retained in the cell, sodium, more sodium has to be transported into the cell, more water has to be transported into to the cell to counterbalance that sodium. The significant issue is as that as more water is transferred in, the mucus on the surface becomes more viscous. Now in cystic fibrosis, lungs are normal at birth, but because of this decreased chloride ion transport, you're reabsorbing ultimately more water, making a much more viscous mucus that's going to interfere with the cleaning action as the cilia have a harder time beating through those mu that mucus and these pulmonary lesions are usually seen at the level of the bronchioles and that's going to leave fluid trapped in the alveoli. Emphysema, another common respiratory ailment, is seen, and that's an enlargement of the air spaces of the alveoli. That's going to provide less surface for gas exchange. The two images on the left are from normal lungs, and the two images on the right are from, an, from an emphysemic lungs. And you can see at the higher magnification, there's much less surface area in these alveoli compared to here. You've got these large expanded bulli, so there's less surface area for gas exchange. These images are from the lungs of patients with emphysema. The one on the left is from an emphysemic lung, and the image on the right is from a patient with emphysema, but also in the early stages of acute pneumonia. You can note the accumulation of debris in the alveoli of the latter lung, and the inset shows abundant neutrophils in the alveoli, which are going to exacerbate the emphysema. Here by scanning electron microscopy, the images on the left show normal lung alveoli. Kind of diagrammatically, you can see the normal surface area for gas exchange. Here on the right, you have abnormal lungs, very expanded alveoli into these bulli. The diagram shows it something like this, so much less area of surface for gas exchange. So you can see foreign substances, maybe bacteria that are going to build up in these alveoli. That leads to complications. So here's a summary slide that can result from a last day-induced emphysema. Suppose you have chronic lung irritation. That's going to attract excess macrophages and neutrophils to the lungs. The macrophages actually release chemotactic substances for the neutrophils. The neutrophils, as they die, they're going to release elastase. And the release of elastase is normal to fight infections. But if you've got overwhelming numbers of neutrophils migrating into the alveoli and releasing a lot of elastase, that's going to overwhelm the elastase inhibitors. And Elastase can actually destroy the alveolar wall. The alveolar walls will collapse, and that will cause the alveoli to coalesce, forming these large bulli. As we've shown you on the two previous images, that decreases surface area for gas exchange, so respiration is compromised. Also, because of that, the ability of macrophages to wander around and ingest bacteria can be compromised. That's going to lead to overwhelming infections. Now, there are genetic diseases such as alpha-1-amptotrypsin deficiency, which are going to cause severe emphysema and COPD, again, because of the inability to counteract 
the excess neutrophil elastase that's released. 